Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Almost Ever to Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Earl. <laughs> There's a little slow off the mark here, but it's okay. It's a bank holiday Monday. Mm-hmm. Ken Early, are you a little quicker on the uptake yeah, today? Hello. One of us is uh, <laughs> ready to go. We'll get into the weekend's events in just a second, but it is sports autobiography season, as I'm sure you're aware. And we have had a good time reading through these books, trying to find out a little bit more about what makes a great player, or in Anthony Daly's case, a great manager. His book, Daylo, was serialised in the Sunday Times yesterday, focuses largely on his time in charge of Dublin. And I bring this up because the serialisation <laughs> kicks off with a bizarre Anthony Daly story, right? So he's preparing, Ken, for the 2011 league final against Kilkenny. Huge day for Dublin hurling. He's, uh, they've done all the rah-rah stuff on the way to the game, and he feels maybe he's overdone it. Maybe these guys need to just be... They need to laugh. They need to see the funnier side of Anthony Daly, right? So... I, I'll, I'll let Daly take it up here. While Martin Kennedy was getting the warm-up area ready and the players were loosening out before the warm-up began, I began stripping off. Oh, he's already explained that he's brought swimming togs, by the way. Okay. I didn't go so far as the boys in the full Monty. I left the shorts on, but I, lo- I looked like the Dave character in the film because I had a nice fat belly on me at the time. <laughs> so in I walked with the goggles and the swimming hat and the look of someone who had just walked out of a lunatic asylum. As soon as I op- This is before a huge match for uh, Dublin, by the way. As soon as I opened the door, there was this ex- exasperated look that said, who the Jesus is this? I remember catching Alan Nolan's eye and he nearly keeled over. Once I knew that the players realised it was actually me and not some poor fellow who'd escaped from an institution, I summoned the best Limerick accent I could manage. Uh, Murph, I can't do the Limerick accent. I don't know if you okay. want to... Uh, no, 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 I'd rather not. Where's the pool? He screams out in a... Kind of as, as Limerick as he can. In my head, I was trying to recreate the image of a fella... I was trying to recreate the image of a fellow who had taken a wrong turn in the leisure centre of a hotel and had arrived back at the lobby. Is there no pool here at all? <laughs> he screams to the lads. Then I turned on my heels... Walked straight back out the door and put back on my tracksuit. I wasn't too sure how well it had gone down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a pity Brendan Rodgers didn't try that in the being Liverpool but instead of the three envelopes trick. I wouldn't have minded seeing a bit of that type of thing. Or even Paul McGinley, you know? I mean, McGinley tried just about every other trick in the book, including the... Yeah. It, it actually Liverpool reminds me coach. a bit of the kind of stuff Paul Gascoigne used to do at Lazio. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, Gaza uh, turns up late for training and, and actually has positioned himself outside the training ground underneath a motorbike covered in tomato ketchup you know lying mo- motionless on the ground genius uh, there was also a time when Gascoigne 
Yeah, this was after the England-Italy... I don't, I don't mean to draw parallels between Anthony Daly and No, we've moved on from Anthony Daly. That was just a, a funny story that, but, I, that I've that i stolen the, from Anthony Daly's book yeah. via the Sunday Times to kick things off. Dressing, off dressing room type uh, antics. Um, England against Italy in the 1990 World Cup. Third place match. Uh, England lost to Italy, I think, 2-1 in the night. Did Baggio, Baggio score a goal? Can't remember who, what the result was, actually. But um, uh, Gianni Agnelli... Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they call him? Il Cavalieri or something. He oh. was the, he was Italy's richest man, um, he uh, and most important man, and and best dressed man, uh, according to everybody. Do you, you know what his his, his signature um, uh, dressing? What do you, what I don't, I'm so I'm in it's, such unfamiliar territory here that I don't even know the correct vocabulary. His, his signature uh, outfit, his stylistic. Yeah, uh, it so was no no no. He we wore all signature the signature look. Different types of outfits, but one of the his, his trademark moves was to uh, obviously his tremendously expensive watch, of which he had. This is Agnelli sure, we're talking about. Agnelli. Yeah. He would uh, strap it on the outside of his suit jacket. He didn't want to be. Um, he didn't want to be pulling his suit jacket back to look at his watch. And oftentimes the thing was so kind of chunky that it would be difficult to get the, the suit, the shirt, and everything back over it. So he would just sort of strap it on the outside of his jacket and to hell with it. And everyone said, wow, Gianni Agnelli, have you seen his latest stylistic innovation? Uh, because, of course, he was the richest yeah. man in, in the country. Literally do whatever the hell he liked. Yeah. But he, he, he said, I like to look at this young Gascoigne. And uh, decided to pay a visit to the England dressing room. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Barnes said... We had no idea who he was. Uh, we knew that he was had to be somebody important because of the sort of way that he looked and the fact the that watch he, thing and the fact that he got he got all these. <laughs> no uh, one seemed to be abusing him about the watch thing. He had these big heavies with him, you know, all these all these sort of all dressed uh, with their watches. Also, they're slightly cheaper watches yeah, inside the suits. Extremely muscular, stubbly men, uh, sort of flanking him. Lictors, I think, uh, would would have been what they used to call them in the old days. And he comes into the dressing room and he wants to see Gascoigne, but Gascoigne's in the shower. Um, so a messenger is sent to the shower uh, to to get Gascoigne, who emerges from the shower area with a towel around his waist, um, sees Gianni Agnelli, grabs him, uh, puts him in a headlock, and starts giving him a noogie. <laughs> starts, starts rubbing his, his silver mane uh, with his knuckles uh, and saying, I don't know, how'd you like that then? Or something, yeah. something <laughs> on those lines. And uh, as it turned out, anyway, Juventus didn't buy Paul Gascoigne. <laughs> Transfer never materialised. Do you want another yeah. story? Do you want another Dalo story? Yeah. Oh, that one was very good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, so this is his... And we've, we're talking a lot about sledging in recent times, actually. Mm. Uh, this is him and Brian Cody. Daly's pretty good at sledging. Yeah. Come right he had an it. issue with Cody. Well, uh, maybe it was the way around in 2004 when he first managed against him. He thought, this Cody guy's not going to bully me. So they had a bit of a stand-up row. And he yeah. said that Cody was probably a little bit taken aback that time. He wasn't expecting, yes. what, are you, what are you doing? Whereas this time, he's ready for him. So it's the first time he's playing against Cody or managed against Cody as Dublin manager, I think. Two of them are co- nearly coming to blows. You're a long time trying to beat me now, Anthony, says Cody. Sure, my mother would beat would train that team, Brian, I shot back. <laughs> they train themselves anyway. Would, uh, anyone would win with them. Go away, will you? How did you lose one or two of those All-Irelands with those players? <laughs> <laughs> so Cody's back with, well, we're beating ye anyway, and uh, you better believe... Sorry, I'm just flicking over the paper here. You better believe that we'll keep beating you. He snorted back, and we'd have beaten your Clare team as well. <laughs> oh, come on now. Come on now, oh. Brian. Well, you can't compare between errors. Yeah, really. between errors. And that's, yeah, yeah, that's a daily team that daily captain as opposed to the one yeah. He sounds Didn't a bit like it? you talking to Hang Tankata, you know. Me? Is it fair to say anyone could have trained that team? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> you know, I was, I've, I've been privileged enough to have been on the sidelines 
uh, during Dublin Kilkenny games, mm-hmm. and uh, the body language between Anthony Daly and Brian Cody is probably. I did like three summers of it, and by a mile, that's the most memorable thing to have happened on the whole uh, throughout yeah, that entire. Because it's obvious that Daly really doesn't like him, and uh, but his it's not like kind of a sort of stony silence. Daly makes a point of like walking up and down the sideline all the time, directly in front of the Kilkenny bench. And there's a lot of like muttering going on kind of behind people's behind people's hands, you know. Well, Daly says they they get on great afterwards, and even after that, they had a lovely chat. So yeah, maybe they do like. Uh, each I other. think yeah, no, but sorry, they, that's in, inartfully in com- worded by me. In a competitive sense, he, yes, it, we're going to get it on because we don't get along. Yeah, those two guys straight up don't like each other, Ken. Mm. But no, what Daly hates losing to Brian Cody more than to anyone else. I think yeah. that's where, where the main source of ire comes from. Your thoughts, Ken, on Manchester United versus. Chelsea, uh, more particularly the way it ended for United, is that the kind of mm, kind of moment that can launch uh, an era? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's I mean, quite, no? Like, no. But they've been waiting. They've they've had been a year and a half. Manchester United fans waiting for one of these amazing last minute. Still ten points behind Chelsea. You know, that's the problem. If it's been a last minute winner. Um, maybe make some feel. Somebody needs. Mean, somebody Hal, I think, was asked after. He said, "Is this psychologically as good as a win?" And he said, "No, it's a draw. You know, we, you know, we've got to start. We've got to start winning. We've got to start winning these games. A bit like a win. Yeah, that's what Van, Van Persie was interviewed. I think that's why they asked Van Hal that. Okay. Uh, and he said, no, he was disagreeing. Actually, he took a couple of pops at Van Persie. First of all, he said he was stupid to be throwing a shirt around like that because I think he'd been booked. Mm. So it was a case of could easily have been sent off at that mm. point. Um, and then said, no, I don't agree that it's that's as good as a win. Although." I don't know. He, he, you know, Van Gaal, I suppose, is in a situation. He doesn't want to be like, yeah, you know, this is the dawn of this season starts here. You know, if he started saying that kind of stuff, what their next game is against Manchester City, and Manchester City just lost this weekend, so uh, that's going to be another difficult game. Just Maybe if they come out the next, the next two games, Man City and Arsenal, Arsenal away. And if they come out of those two games uh, with a, with a few points, then maybe uh, two more felt like a win draws. <laughs> well, two more felt like a win draws and. That's that's not actually doing them much good, really. So they, you know, one of those if they, a win and a draw, I think would be quite good from those from those games. Just well, not, yeah. maybe two wins because the way they're looking at, surely they they have to fancy themselves to beat Arsenal. Not necessarily because the form suggests it, but just because the the record suggests that they they should they have, they have a good chance. Just Arsenal. on that theme of managers criticizing players, I see it, it wasn't too stringent from this time from. Brendan Rodgers after the game regarding Balotelli but I notice he's now getting technical he's, he's actually giving Balotelli technical advice via the media regarding that chance he missed at the end he said well yeah he will be disappointed he should have just opened up his body a little bit less uh, or, or maybe he said he, he opened up his body a little too much but he, the goals will come <laughs> as Balotelli's there uh, yeah. Brendan. well Brendan Rodgers, Brendan Rodgers is a coach you know he believes in coaching yep. uh, maybe he can coach teach Mario Balotelli how to play football uh, that would be everybody would be would benefit, I suppose, from from that development. Um, actually, the person who he, he seems almost more critical of Daniel Sturridge the other day. Um, not, uh, I mean, not in any in any serious way. I mean, he he seems to change tack a little bit on Balotelli, having having initially been a little bit, I, I don't think very supportive of him at all, uh, saying he needs to get better, he needs to score. Mm. Um, he he's he's now sort of said, you know, he's the boys working hard, you know. That's that's the most important thing. Well, with Sturridge, uh, he was saying, you know, Sturridge's been out a long time now. Um, he's got great potential, but it means nothing unless he can play, you know? He can't be a top player. You, you can't be a top player unless you play a lot. So he seemed to almost be uh, 
putting a bit of pressure on Sturridge to get fit. Now, of course, he may be bidding a biological process, you know, the knitting together of the hamstring of Sturridge to, to speed up a little bit, which is probably going to be a fairly fruitless endeavor, uh, even for a believer in the power of positive thinking. Or maybe he's, it sounded to me almost as though he was kind of suggesting to Sturridge, okay, you know, it's... Hamstring might be a bit sore, but maybe it's time to uh, maybe it's time to get out there again. We, well, need, you, we need you, big guy. But more on all of that in the Second Captain's Football podcast. On today's show, we're talking Champions Cup very shortly with Jerry Thornley and Dennis Hickey. And we've got one of Dundalk's title-winning heroes, Stephen O'Donnell, on the show. The scenes at the end of the game against Cork on Friday night were incredible. Uh, I don't know if you saw Tony O'Donnell's post-match interview with two of their players, Daryl Horgan and Patrick Hoban, these boys. There was an F-bomb dropped which made some of the... Uh, Listen, that got the headlines. The headlines. But what's really more important is the extreme excitement of both players. And the supporters who didn't, not content with the usual standing behind yeah. players being interviewed, got right in front of them, face in camera. This, uh, that's much more preferable to yeah. me. Mm. I, mean, I mean, that's raw, uh, that's a raw expression of delight uh, as opposed to the, you know, uh, ploughing dead, the walking dead behind... Yeah. Uh, the, the GA players and managers, which just kind of weirds me out. Yeah, Stephen O'Donnell, who we're talking to today, got the first of the goals and uh, it was his first start back after being out since April. He had a knee injury and a related issue uh, surrounding that, which we'll talk about with Stephen himself. Yeah, kind of a fairy tale uh, end of the season there, yeah. right? I don't think I mentioned the man of the match part there as well, just to, to throw <laughs> yeah, that in there. And if I, if I, yeah, if I have mentioned, I've mentioned it twice. Now let's talk Champions Cup. Ulster are as good as out. Munster and Leinster are both grinding their way on in the European competition. Dennis Hickey and Jerry Thorne, are you ready to chat about it, lads? Um, Jerry, I'll start with you. Maybe this isn't a fair way to kick off the chat, given the two of the provinces won, but there are only, I think, two tries scored by the three provinces over the weekend. Would you be a bit concerned there just about the lack of uh, lack of creativity? The way Rugby's going, you know. <laughs> there aren't an awful lot of tries floating around. Uh, not too many bonus points in the game. Generally, defence are on top. I mean, most of played to a very specific game plan, uh, which was quite restrictive. Um, a lot of an awful huge emphasis on kicking. Um, Lancer had a very negative, uh, restrictive game plan as well, where they basically seemed to be almost playing four penalties by long before the end and just recycling for the sake of us to keep the ball. Um, and in the two games of rugby that I went, that I went to over the weekend, 160 minutes of rugby, I saw two tries, both in line out most. I mean. Cast and Sizes were much better. So, you know, there isn't an awful lot of tries floating around. Sure, and they were yeah. two quite restrictive game plans. Dennis, is that understandable from the coaches? Uh, that is that maybe just the way it has to be at this stage of competitions? I don't think I, any side is playing not to score tries. I just think that's the way things are. Um, I think that's just the way the game's unfolded. I think, um, you know, throughout the weekend, I think you're looking at three very obviously different sets of. Um, teams and oppositions. Um, I think obviously the Munster game, uh, Munster decided to you know we're playing a very considered game plan um, for most of the certainly for the most of the game, um, and it involved kind of squeezing what turned out to be quite a frail pack out of the game. Um, Toulon as well, you know they were playing away from home, so they wanted to keep it tight and kind of grind Munster, uh, Ulster down, which they did. And I think then uh, Leinster, I think Leinster tried to try to move the ball. So, you know they took uh, Castro times through many phases and just you know defence and Castro 
it was the one point of, point of the game that was very um, very good, albeit disciplined, uh, which ultimately gave away penalties. So, you know, I'm not sure any team uh, you know was playing not to score tries. I just think that's the way the games unfolded, um, and it just so happens that we were, you know, we being uh, Irish viewers were watching um, three games that didn't have a lot of tries. There was plenty of other tries scored, I think, in the competition, but um, I think just the, the dynamics of the particular games just didn't lend themselves to scores this week, and it was unfortunate because uh, it just made things a little bit um, a little bit turgid at times. Is it part of a trend with Leinster though uh, maybe this is something to do with the injuries Dennis that uh, even against Wasps when the game looked the bonus point looked there for the taking there was nothing like this sort of offloading game that used to exist and I guess that even in in uh, in the pre Heineken Cup winning days the Leinster supporters kind of grew to grew to love it doesn't seem to be there at the moment um it may be, I suppose, but you know, as I said, I think there was times in, in the Castro game at the weekend that Leinster took Castro to to ten phases, twelve phases. Certainly in the first half, um, they moved Leinster around, but they they you know I, I I'm not sure you know I think we've we said this before I'm not sure what the personnel Leinster have just right at this moment they're they're as creative, um, especially off the phases. Uh, which was kind of key to them unlocking other teams in in, in times past. Um, they're just a little, you know, all, all phases. They're not as inventive. They're they're more direct. Um, you know, and it's been effective for them. They're two from two. Um, but uh, you know, I think what you, you know, I'm, I'm trying to maybe explain a point that you're bringing up. I, I'm not sure. I I I. No, feel free to disagree. You can disagree entirely. You know, I just think it's, um, you know, I just think it, it's, it's their, it's the way the, the game has evolved a little bit that way. There's, there's no doubt. But I also think there are some mitigating circumstances around, um, you know, the, the, their selection at the moment and um, the fact that they're, they're, they're somewhat hampered by injury. Injuries, and um, I think as well they're 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 just not a they're maybe only kind of in in this round of the Highland Cup really trying to just focus on the results at the moment and getting getting through um, getting through the two rounds which they've done. Jerry, a big part of the the victory, well, the main uh, the main reason for victory was Ian Madigan and his place kicking, despite missing maybe one fairly fairly handy one. Uh, you interviewed him uh, at the weekend in the paper. A very very interesting. He, he certainly wasn't shy in 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 assessing himself and where his mindset maybe used to be and where it needs to be and where it is now. No, he was wonderfully candid and refreshingly honest about it. And- Hope he never changes. He's a very erudite, thoughtful, considered lad, and uh, he wasn't trying to give me honest answers. He wants to play ten. He likes everything that goes with playing ten. He likes being more involved, knowing the game plan, being the director of all of it all. He feels less pressure and less weight in his shoulders when he's played at twelve or fifteen. Um, but he'd rather have the weight. Um, that said, he he takes these in his favour approach. He just wants to be on the pitch. And he's happy to play anywhere in the backs of his game time. He. Well, he can play full-back or centre, but he would much rather that he had a full week to prepare for it. It's one of the, it's one of the last-minute change or change the day before game that seems to really trouble him. Understandably so. He's been running out for a week with issues of timing and so forth. Um, and he, he said that if Sexton comes home and he ends up not being in the team, and in basically is where his career was at 2012, he's still at that point in the end of the 2015-16 season, then he might well have to leave. That's sport. But um, he hopes, he's delighted Sexton's coming home and he he ideally, but I just see them both playing together, you know what I mean, playing outside, but there's no point really thinking about that now, because way down the track, and there are no guarantees of a club like Leinster anyway, so I thought it was very good, but I think, it, I really got a sense of knowing him for a few years, on and off, bumped into him a lot, but it was the first time Leinster allowed him to him, and um, um, I found him a very interesting character, and a very likeable character, but also, 
but the, the mental strength that he has for goal kicking. Ironically, the first time I ever met him was the night he missed that famous penalty against Kilkenny in the 11th minute of injury time. I met him that night, and he was very distraught. And he, it's the old adage, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't break you, it'll make you. And he showed his mental strength by discovering techniques, reading up on techniques, um, golf psychology books, and so forth, and learning from kicking coaches. And now has a preparation routine all his own, like any good goal kicker, which he trusts and believes in. And his goal kicking is outstanding. So it really is a tribute to him that he turned that disappointment in part into making the player he's become. And you just want to see him in the team. I personally think that what Dennis says is true, and I think. If Ron Owen Redden was at nine on at the week yesterday and Ian Madigan was at ten, I think you'd see potentially a much de- much different Leinster background. I think there'd be much more zip on the passing. I think there'd be a run more of a running threat from both nine and ten. Ironically, I just bossed it in snipe yesterday, maybe it's because he hasn't had to know about a game plan this season. Owen Redden did. Um and there seemed to be gaps there for Boss, but Redden went from it's great to see him playing such wonderful rugby at, at this stage in his career, Redden and I think Jimmy Gopper is very low in confidence at the moment. He's running laterally, as was Isaac Boss. Um, they were both running a bit laterally, which was crowded with space outside them. And there was just inside pass. It was the only point of variation other than shoving the ball on. There was a, big, a kind of warm attack that was, was changed twice, changed the point of attack and, and nearly led to um, a line break. The only, only other threat they had really was from Redden sniping when he came on. I just feel that Gopper's lacking confidence at the moment. He went through one loop that was... Actually, when it worked effectively, he just should have moved the ball on, but he didn't have the confidence to do it. Or maybe it's something to do with the way they've been playing these games, and it's low risk rugby because there was very little risk. I think that that had echoes of the quarterfinal defeat away to Toulon last year when there was very little risk in the in the tactics that day. And it's good enough to be cast away in a pool match, but they will have to have a few strings to the ball if they're going to win the European Champions Cup. I doubt it'll be good enough to beat it. The likes of Toulon will knock out stages. Is this out half thing going to happen for Madigan at this stage? Do you think, Dennis, as Jerry said, I mean, the Sexton is on the way back. Uh, it does look as though maybe th- there is an issue there with Goppert's confidence, but would you would you foresee any scenario whereby uh, uh, Matt O'Connor says, look, we'll go for it. We're going to put Madigan in a 10 for the season? I'm not sure at this point. I'm not sure. Uh, it's very difficult to, to kind of assess that at the moment because um, Leinster have been so plagued with injuries throughout the team and the backline is, you know, the backline as well. Um, I don't think uh, Matt O'Connor has been able to pick his preferred, probably starting fifteen. Um, uh, so it's it, it, it's it's unless that happens, we'll probably never know. You know, unless everyone is back and. Uh, you know the, the 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 fixtures right, and this you know this man that kind of decides okay, well we've got the the, the right fixtures to, to make some changes here. We've got everyone back. I'm not sure that's ever going to happen, as as we spoke about before. You know, at any one time, probably every squad has at least twenty percent of their players injured, um, and uh, Leinster are no different. Um, you know, I read that interview as well. So it was a really interesting interview. Um, I can't imagine a scenario whereby Ian Manning is not going to be in the fifteen. Though um, uh, I know he, you know, that's the that's the kind of point he brought up, and he was, I think he's he was very honest to say that. But I think he's been Leicester's most creative back. Uh, you know, I said that in, in past weeks. I, I I thought he was very, I thought he was very good uh, yesterday, uh, albeit with not as much space and maybe you know, maybe not as much. Um, uh, maybe not with the game plan that that allowed him to do as much. But you know, I think yesterday against Castro, I think Castro were you know Castro didn't offer a huge amount, but defensively they were actually pretty they were they were pretty sound um, to the point of of uh, being ill disciplined I suppose. But they were they were certainly up up to defend. They were up to to make tackles yesterday, um, and they made it very hard for Leinster. I thought with the ball, uh, but they you know you know unfortunately it was a bit of a cliche in the sense that they didn't have their discipline. They were you know arguing with the referee. Their coach was you know. 
you know, joining his hands like a like an Italian footballer and praying to the referee as he was coming off, you know, that kind of way. Um, it was kind of that sort of uh, old uh, French experience that um, you, you kind of think is kind of past it. But uh, you know, they were very, you know, they were they were very ill-disciplined. So it wasn't that sort of a game. But you know, I, I thought, um, you know, I thought Madigan was good, and I thought uh, I, I thought Leinster were, were positive when they could be um, for most of the game uh, yesterday. But albeit, you know, maybe not with the same precision they, they, they we would hope. Just on the theme of the low risk stuff, I mean, Munster, a, a, a huge performance by them, and really given how tight the game looked like it was going to be and a 14-3 win is pretty big but it was interesting Neil DeCock at half time was dragged along for an interview on BT Sport and he, he said yeah and he said well you know we just it, it's a bit boring this game what we have to do it's a little bit boring but we can't get bored we have to just keep doing what we're doing and Conor Murray used that word at half time as well he said we can't get bored by this I was interested that the players thought of it in that way Dennis maybe particularly backs I guess they don't ideally they don't really want to have to play like that but that's that's what certain games require. Well, I think first of all, I think it's worth commenting on the 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 fact that one of the players is interviewed coming off the pitch in the middle of the game because it's still the game is still is still on just because there's a break in the game for half time. I think it's extraordinary that that the unions um, have allowed a scenario like the players' union or the IRFU or whatever deal has been done with BT have allowed a scenario where players in the middle of their job are being asked. A to comment on so how do you think the game's going in a sort of kind of pub, you know, two guys sitting at a pub sort of way. What 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 are you what are you planning to do next or how do you think the game's going? I just I cannot, I cannot imagine a scenario whereby that is in the interest of the players or that it's the interest in the game in the long term that this is kind of creeping into the game. I just when I when I saw the setup by the way, for Anthony Foley after the match when he was just straight out of the game and he was sitting on a bar stool yeah. in a bar with his notebook as if he was on a panel and he was kind of looking into the corner. People were trying to catch his, he was just, when I see scenarios like that, I just think the question that comes to mind, what would Michael Checker do in this scenario? Um, I just, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, given that, that, that both players and coaches are now being rolled into this. Yeah. I did think it was very interesting that uh, both those, you know, the, the, that was a comment that people say. But but when you play those big European matches, there are wrestles. You know, they're not. You know, it's a different sort of game to what you're playing every week. And be it in the 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 Guinness Premiership or, or the whatever, you know, whether the, the or, or the Pro, the Guinness Pro Twelve, um, or whatever the 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 the, the league in the UK is called at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it is really very much an arm wrestle, and especially if you're you know Saracens and you're playing away from home. It, it, you play low risk rugby. You don't let the home team get too far ahead. The Monsters' game plan was very simple as well. In that sense, they decided to really grind down the 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 the, the Saracens pack, which they did very effectively. And Saracens were 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 left. Uh, you know, obviously they came over here with a fairly big reputation, and uh, you know they really were completely outmuscled by Munster up front. So it wasn't a very pretty game plan. It wasn't the most entertaining game, um, but it was very effective from Munster's point of view. And I think Munster knew that's exactly the way they were going to have to win the game. They didn't want the game getting. Very very loose. They didn't want Saracens uh, outside backs getting into the match, and that's exactly what happened. It was very much the game plan was dictated by Munster, but I think it was facilitated by when you play away from home, you do have to play much lower risk rugby. And I think Sar- 
Parsons came to play with a low risk rugby. They didn't want the the monster machine kind of ticking over, but ultimately it didn't suit them and uh, it played right into Munster's hands. I just really wish these on field interviews existed in Dennis Hickey's playing days now, given that uh, just to see the reaction here. But Dennis, <laughs> Dennis, just on uh, uh, Jerry, I should say, just on Munster. There, I mean, we we do keep hearing that. They're going to have to have a, a more varied game plan in the in the biggest games against the biggest teams. I know this was a home match, but it was Saracens who are seen as one of the best teams in Europe, and they beat them fairly comfortably. Could they go and win this competition with the setup that they have at the moment and with the players buying into the way Anthony Foley plays, or do they actually will they ultimately fall short even in these games against Claremont coming up? I would have thought they're going to need something extra, a little bit extra. Uh, they do have a little bit extra, I suppose, when you think of. Bring on JJ Hanron with 20, 30 minutes to go and playing him outside Keith Lee, dovetailing the two of them together. They put a lot more, they can put a lot more width and tempo the ball. So I think we've got to, we've got to judge this as a one-off game and these were tactics tailored for um, one match at home to Saracens. I don't know that they necessarily play like that all the time. I think it's a very distinct uh, game plan for this match, brilliantly executed. I think the Munster halfbacks, I think even Tulsa Munster kicked the ball 36 times in Keighley, 18 times, Connor Murray 15 times. It shows you how increasingly influential Connor Murray is becoming in this team, which is fair enough because he's such a, I think, as I've said before, and they showed that he's going to be the best Irish scrum half of all time, and they might as well play an awful lot through him because he's so good. Um, I think you've got to judge it in, just in terms of a one off game. And, you know, the. It, there's not an awful lot of tries thrown around. You know, like I said before, I think there's only been, out of the 20 matches, there's only been five attacking bonus points, which, I don't know, I'll have to compare the stats with last year. It is a slightly different change tournament as well. At the top part, there aren't the, there aren't the two Italian sides, you know what I mean? There probably aren't as many whipping boys per se, so it is more difficult to, um, to come up with bonus points in I suppose, in this competition. But uh, it's... It, it, I think we're going to wait and see with Monster and see how they evolve. They haven't been very lucky with injuries. They do have limitations, I believe, in midfield, but um, they, there could yet be more to their game. I, I think particularly if they get JJ Hanlon involved and particularly if they got Keith Earls back in. Just uh, on Ulster's defeat to Toulon, they seemed almost a little shell-shocked afterwards, Dennis, that they just didn't get anything going against them. There was... I guess everyone was expecting a bit of manic intensity, which I'm sure is easier said than done. When you're out in the field, I'm sure they were all they were they were trying to hit hard, but they looked uh, looked a little bit men against boys. Yeah, I think they were playing a team that that wouldn't succumb to any to any sort of shell shock or wouldn't be you know if you just it was I thought it was just very interesting to see the the, the, the two teams how they lined out the way that they both played just the, the the personnel on both sides you just realize very quickly that the the raven hill factor wasn't going to be much of a factor when you've when you've a team that probably is about 600 caps uh between the probably more um on the field the you know the the scary home fixture you know when you just look at the the, the, the players that 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 toulon have it just kind of it looks almost, you know, this is you know, this is never going to work. You know, why do we think that that we're going to scare this team? You know, and playing the playing the home, the big home fixture, and, and as you said, at times it was just a case of one team strangling the other team into submission, and in, there was nothing. There was literally nothing. Uh, it seemed at times there's nothing Ulster could do about it. You know, when you have a scenario whereby a team can lose two of their key players very early on in Matt Gitto and um, bring on James O'Connor and then bring on Juan Smith and then the second half bring on Bucky's both uh, Ali Williams in the second row and you know for Fernanda, Fernanda, uh, Fernandez Labe and uh, the two second row changes they made 
you're just looking at it going, this is this is a different type of rugby. This is this is like this is like a Babas team of old, except they play together every week and they're all really here to win. They're not here just to throw the ball around and get some exhibition rugby and pick up a few quid. Um, you're, you're thinking, I don't know who, I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at them going, I wonder, I wonder what Irish team has it in, to, in to, beat, to beat a team like Toulon at the moment. I'm not saying they're unbeatable, but based on the rugby I saw at the weekend, I'm thinking how could any of the game plans that won for the Irish teams at the weekend, be it Munster or Lancers, work against this team? And I don't think it could at the moment. Um, I thought, you know, Toulon were just had too many good players. Um, they just absorbed the kind of uh, opening, opening frenetic patch that a home team will have in a, in a European match, um, and then just kind of, just kind of squeezed them and choked them to death, uh, and then you know did what they needed to do, won the game, scored a couple of tries, and got on the bus and went home. All right, and that's just before Jerry. Before we wrap up, are you a fan of those sort of pre-match and and uh, well, sorry, more on-field halftime interviews that are the norm these days? It seems. Ah no, no, I think they're nonsense. I mean, really, I think it's an intrusion. I think there's something should be left sacred. I don't think we need their thoughts. What about what about entertainment? The, the in the name of entertainment. Yeah, if you find them entertaining, you find them entertaining. I don't particularly, and I also think it's green tennis, like the, the post-match stuff in the bar, it just makes rugby look so cliche. All right, listen, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pick this up afterwards, but great to talk to the two of you. Jerry, Dennis, brilliant, thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. The flame hair, flame hair, flame for truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around and bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. We will keep that conversation. We're going to welcome Simon Higgins. Thanks, John. Uh, I'd like to know your views on the, the hot topic raised there by Dennis. Well, Ray, yeah, pretty much raised by Dennis. These, it's funny. BT Sport have obviously taken this to a new level with the not just halftime interviews. Before the game, they had Craig Doyle walking around the pitch with David Wallace, and they'd throw to uh, Bayfield or one of the other in, uh, one of the other presenters who would th- who'd be interviewing one of the players. They they obviously had them set beforehand. A couple of Saracens players are willing to chat away on the field as they're warming up. The, pl- the players are literally doing drills around. Before them. They're literally doing drills around them, and it, uh, I did notice that none of the uh, Munster players are actually involved in that part of it. They managed to grab a skills coach just before, somewhat grudgingly by the looks of things. But the Foley. Uh, piece afterwards that was referenced there by Lazzy he is sitting there and it does look like a sort of a pub setting like it's somewhere deep in the bowels of Tom that was Park. incredibly relaxed I don't know if people have seen the Foley one but there's literally Munster fans walking in behind um, I actually know the bit of Tolman Stadium where they did it and pretty much anybody could have walked up but Anthony Foley was completely relaxed he kind of took on the tone of the thing as well and he's chatting to one of his old teammates there David Wallace was on the panel but it's incredible access I mean the fact that I mu- they must have cleared it with every club involved but then obviously it comes down to if you're walking across the pitch before a game and you ask Peter Armani for his thoughts before he plays yeah, a, running, uh, yeah, a big game. Sorry, Murphy. Yeah, interesting uh, choice of word there, though. Access. Like, I'm not entirely sure that, it, you know, access would would appear to suggest that you'd get an insight. Like, I would say that seeing the dressing rooms at halftime is access. Is access. 
I mean, what you're actually talking about there is like talking to guys at half time when they're sweating and they can't even say a word effectively. I saw this a couple of times over the course of the weekend. You're not getting anything really, I don't think, you know. And then say the the coaches being interviewed in the middle of the game. That's what well, that's the, that's the craziest one yeah. because they're literally they have a job they're to do there. Job, and yeah. I know Dennis argues that the players are still very much in job mode as well. They're just taking a break to go in and get yeah. their breather, but literally those coaches are talking as players are developing plays that they really need to be 100% tuned into because it's going to affect how they coach the rest of the game. It's usually, it seems to me, often assistant coaches rather than head coaches, but no, that said, there are head coaches interviewed as well in, in the middle of a, yeah. of a half. And that seems that you seem to be very much in the Dennis Hickey school here, Murph. Go back to... Well, I, you know, I, it's not... Go back to just pre-match and post-match stuff. It's very much a televisual uh, thing. I mean, it's 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 for the it's for the the viewer. I mean, it's for the... It's the look of it more so than any insight you're getting, I think. You know, I don't think you're getting... I think it depends from... on the character. Some of the NFL mic'd up players, yeah, but they're, they're like, unbelievable. They're mic'd if up you fully embrace played. it, yeah, then it could be amazing. Up. But if everybody's really cautious and just says incredibly bland things, then there's yeah. no point in doing it. Yeah, but uh, those NFL players are mic'd up with the full idea that that's not going to be played on a live broadcast. The NFL films are going to take that. The NFL website are going to take that. And they're only going to play the bits that are going to be of interest to people, but also none of the profanities, none of, none of anything but like the that. The 2020 players are the same. The cricket guys, they're literally in the outfield. There might be a, like a fastballer yeah. doing his run-up and there's a guy chatting to the commentators going, I better just run in here a little bit. Looks like this might go short. How would, this, yeah, how, how would this transfer to football, Ken? Would you like to see Jeff Shreves interviewing Mario Balotelli as he walks off at halftime, just as he's about to change his jersey? Um... I think it's a bit invasive. Do you? I, yeah, I think just let him play the game. <laughs> like, what are we trying to do, you know? Yeah, what are you trying to get out of it, you like, know? I, 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 don't really, yeah, I don't really see it. I mean... Well, yeah, I, but if you go by that logic, a lot of post-match interviews can be bland. Uh, and But are you going to stop doing them as well? It's really, during the game, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, post, that's, the full, that's the full argument, really, isn't it? You know, I mean, if after the game, it's part of the media commitments that you mm. kind of sign up to do as... But it's the same reasons. That, yeah, but you're wondering what you get out of them. You're getting the same, something similar out of a halftime interview as you're getting out of a full-time interview. You're you're delivering a face who's involved in the middle of this action yeah. to the one, one people watching them, at home. You'll get somebody either really narky, really yeah, emotional. Yeah, very rarely it, and then it's good it, it is going to happen. I'm not sure. I did like the uh, the look. I suppose, it's, as you're saying, it's a televisual thing. I like the look of the pre-match stuff on, on BT. The, I did kind of like the fact they were almost walking through drills. I don't know if Munster liked it that much or Saracens, but that they're they're very much on the pitch and out in the middle of the whole thing. It's worth trying those things. It's, but I am some... exactly that's one thing that I would definitely say is it's definitely worthwhile trying trying to be different. Mm. You know, and you can see that Sky and BT uh, they have coverage of the same of the same event and they're trying to do different well, yeah, things. Yeah, and I'd with say it. Sky in some ways are reacting to BT maybe and trying to do their own put their own stamp on it along those lines. But we're going to move on and tell you what's in our Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's. Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What have you meant? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'm going to leave it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What are you doing down here, you shawny man? <laughs> We're going to talk a bit about the um, game at Old Trafford yesterday. Um, we're going to talk about the game at Upton Park, uh, in which Sam Allardyce, uh, a Napoleonic victory for Sam Allardyce, and his uh, his loving reconstruction of events uh, afterwards. <laughs> 
for for the benefit of watching uh, global media. So all of that and more. Will Russell Brand get a match? Yeah, Russell Brand. He's a trusted lieutenant now, Russell Brand. Who is he, I've n- literally never seen anyone look as happy as someone else did when Russell Brand kissed him on the cheek. He, he couldn't collect his thoughts at all. His, it was his just his brain completely short-circuited. He was beaming, he was dazzled, and he tried to sort of remember what, what he would, had been talking about. You know those teenage girls that start crying when they meet a boy band member? Really? That's, that's basically what Sarah Allardyce reminds me of. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it was just, if only that moment could have lasted forever. All right, well, it's not very often that uh, any league title really gets aside in the last day of the season, particularly in a straight shootout between the two teams in with a shot. That's really... When you're setting out a league at the start of the season, you'd love to see it finishing up that way. I don't know if people were expecting that at the start. I don't think they were of the Atrocity League title race, that it would be an epic night at Oriole Park. It happened on Friday. Dundalk took care of Cork City, and they've taken the title. Stephen O'Donnell's had to come back from career-threatening injuries to play his part in the win. I'm delighted to say he joins us now. Stephen, it's been a couple of days. It's Bank Holiday Monday now after the, the events of Friday evening. Has it been an enjoyable long weekend for you? Yeah, it's been a long weekend anyway. It's been enjoyable. Yeah, the voice is a little bit croaky now, but um, these are the things you sort of want to be celebrating. So yeah, it's been a very good weekend. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad it's holding up. It's holding up well enough that we can chat to you anyway, the voice, Stephen, at this yeah. stage. The, uh, the scenes on the pitch looked absolutely insane afterwards. You know, your teammates are being interviewed, just fans all going absolutely crazy. It looked uh, just surreal almost to be a part of all that. Yeah, it was great. It was a probably a unique situation that you're playing your title rivals on the night and whoever basically wins the game um, wins the league. So I don't think it's going to happen to us again. So you really have to enjoy it and that. So the atmosphere was electric. And um, I think it was, a, it was a good occasion for the League of Ireland to get enough knockers and that. But um, it was a good occasion on Friday night. So as you said, it was great atmosphere and um, just the scenes were incredible. So, you know, it was just great to be involved in really. What gives you the most satisfaction uh, at the end of a campaign like that? Uh, just self-satisfaction, I suppose, when you start out in mid-January in the freezing weather and you're running and that that's what you're sort of dreaming of. That's the ideal situation of maybe a coming down to a crunch match and you winning the match. So I think it was just a culmination of old season's work that just really everything was on the line in one night and one match so not often that happens you know it's usually maybe a cup final or that that's a bit different but for the actual league to be decided on one night it's, it's fairly unique so I suppose that was the that was the real satisfaction of putting in the hard yards with all your teammates and coming through the right end thank God Yeah like you say it's, it's incredible that all that hard work goes into it and then it comes down to just a couple of big moments on one night in the last day of the season against your title rivals you were responsible for one of the goals what was going through your head in terms of uh, did, did you have any idea how you even wanted to celebrate were, were there any conscious thoughts in your head at that stage no my celebrations are absolutely horrendous <laughs> I just watched it on the telly so just run around like a lunatic but um, no it's just pure relief really if, I suppose if I was more used to scoring maybe the strikers and not have better celebrations but just when you see the ball go in it's just total relief really and you just run around but uh, I thought I blew my chance after missing a bit of a sitter in the first half so it was basically just relief. You just run around. You lose. You you lose the run of yourself. Basically, your own story is amazing this season, Stephen. I'm right in saying that was your first start because of uh, injury and medical issues. Yeah, basically, I I banjacked my knee really in April, and um, that was yeah, that was my first start in around six months. And then I got a clot in my lung from the operation uh, back in April, so I was on tablets and that for three months. So it's a bit of a Bit of a bit of a story, all right, but um, thankfully it all just worked out in the end. That must have been a scary enough time uh, around ha- having that clot, and maybe I suppose football would have been a fair bit from your mind at that stage. 
Uh, no, football's never really from my mind. Yeah, exactly. But um, you, you hear about people getting clots and this up, but you never think it's going to happen to yourself, really. So it was scary, I suppose. But um, I think it sounds a little bit worse than it is. Like, really, there was nothing sort of had to be done. I stayed in hospital for five days and went on sort of tablets that thin my blood and that. But that was about it. It didn't really affect my my recovery or that. I still, I still was able to go into the gym as soon as my knee was fit and ready. So, um but that's what kept me going in the gym, basically, just thinking of, can I come back and help the lads if it does go to the wire? And usually these things don't sort of work out, but thankfully it did this, it did this time. Some managers uh, seem to make a, almost a point of ignoring injured players, just leaving them do their own thing. That sounds a bit callous, but sometimes I think it's the way some managers feel it needs to be done. Uh, what was Stephen Kenny like? Was he in regular contact with you? Was he a part of your recovery? Yeah, well, seeing as uh, like I, I'm sort of captain, I wanted to be sort of there and seen about the place. I didn't want to get injured and then not show up basically for three or four months. So I just I was about the place and he he did. He kept me very involved. I went to watch a match from uh, like opponents we were playing the next week. I went to do sort of a little scouting report and that. So he um, he kept me involved and he just had that good way about him. That even with subs that I'm playing every week, a lot of managers would ignore them basically thinking they're no good to me but he keeps everyone involved and uh, I think that's one of his great gifts that everyone really wants to play for him so I was no different. I've seen a couple of players uh, Stephen say that maybe even including yourself that that, that specifically that point about keeping non-playing members of the squad happy. I mean it's one thing to say you should keep these guys involved but how does he actually do it? How does he actually keep them in kind of a good mood? Just if we were team meetings and that, he'd single boys out that maybe aren't playing for praise and they've trained really well and he'd always just keep them involved. Um, like subs and the people not involved, not even in the squads of the Boston Park to play, um, they could drag the whole morale of the whole squad down in dressing rooms and that if if they if they sort of have a bit of animosity and are bad-minded, you know, they're huge. But um, our subs and even the guys that are in the stand on a Friday really, um, you know, they, they really helped us by just having a great attitude and that we play a lot of 11 v 11 practice matches and training and that, you know, if their attitude and that wasn't great, you know, really would drag everyone down and maybe do a bit of pitching and that, but everyone's attitude has been great. So he just has this way about him that he keeps everyone interested. I don't know if he's messing or not, but he... He basically makes them feel as if they have a chance of playing on a Friday. You know, that's just the way he is. He he tells the truth and like he just gives everybody that motivation and keeps them involved. The story of the club was well told over the weekend at this stage, I think, Stephen, in terms of where, where you guys were a couple of years ago and how close Dundalk were to being relegated, had lost a lot of the supporters. But Stephen himself said that he knew there was a support base there. Everyone knows that it's a good football town. Do you feel that over the last year or so, that connection, it certainly looked like the connection was very much there on Friday night? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I knew myself signing that Dundalk was renowned for being a big football town. So it's just a case of sort of waking up the club and maybe doing doing well, you know, it's the same as everything. If the club's really struggling that the numbers aren't going to come out. So we just wanted to put a sort of decent brand on and get people out on a Friday night to to want to go and enjoy watching us play. So I think that's what we've done in the last few weeks. That's all everyone's been talking about, especially coming into the last week, you know, there was a real buzz around the town and everyone was talking about the match. So I'm just glad we sort of done it. Would have been a big anti-climax had we lost, but thankfully we came out the right side. And um, I think it's given the whole town a big boost. You know, the last few days, everyone like uh, grown men who've been say watching the club for years and that coming up and getting emotional. You know, so it's just great. Absolutely. Well, listen, Stephen, we'll let you enjoy the rest of your bank holiday Monday. Thanks very much for chatting. All right. Thanks a million, lads. Cheers. 
I knew the place. Clough, that he calls me Ravi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way you can win it better. Why not? Only... No, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, we're, I've we're, got. We've only lost four matches. Then... But that, well, that I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Clough, that he calls me Ravi. Good luck. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. And I uh, couldn't use all round that Stephen's voice held up nicely there. We should say <laughs> he was uh, he, he he got the job done nicely. Stephen Kenny made a point there before, uh, after the game that. They ideally wanted to get the job done the week before, away from home, and not have the stress of the mm. last week. But he said the way it worked out, everybody there will remember that night. It's way more dramatic, way yeah. more, just way more incredible for the people who've been supporting the club. It's nice to see. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of it's one of those situations where you uh, get drawn against your hated rival, and uh, it's an absolutely brilliant draw once you win the game. Uh, you know, say <laughs> in a cup tie or something like that. I mean, it's absolutely nothing better as long as you win the effing thing. Uh, and uh, Dundalk went ahead, went right ahead and did it. Well done to Dundalk. Uh, thanks. Well done to you, Kieran. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do an Alex Ferguson here. Well done, Kieran. Congrats, Ken. Well, well, done. well done, Ken. Thanks. Thanks, thanks very much for listening. Do have a listen to the football podcast whenever you get a chance uh, via iTunes or on SoundCloud on uh, whatever way you want to do it. The Podcast Republic app on the Android, and you can check out our website secondcaptains.com. Take care. Cheers. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.